The Education Channel supports individual educational goals and encourages creativity for all. Visit uctv.tv slash education. All right. Well, welcome to the third installment of Creative Conversations. My name is Morgan Appel, and I'm Assistant Dean for Education Community Outreach at UC San Diego Extension. And I am joined by Gabby Delgado from San Diego County Office of Education. Hi, Gabby. How are you? I'm well, Morgan. Good to be here. And I would be remiss if I did not mention our guest today, the incomparable Saura Naderi. Saura, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Now, I will tell you, um, usually our creative conversations are themed. And I thought, well, perhaps this is going to be a creative conversation in data science. And then I thought maybe it's a creative conversation in engineering, or maybe it's a creative conversation in the arts. And I will tell you, I am absolutely stumped. Uh, Saura, you are a multipotentiate. You are an archetype of creativity. Um, and uh, there's a lot to get into because it is very much um, uh, sort of a, a multidisciplinary uh, pursuit that you're in, involved in. And everything is so wonderfully interwoven. Um, perhaps you could start off by telling us what you're doing now. Now, you are the Director of Outreach for K-14 for the Halogiolu Data Science Institute. Did I get that one right? Yes. You know, it took me a while to say it. Halogiolu Data Science Institute. It took me a while to say my own name. So I feel like I don't feel that bad for taking a while to say this name too. But yeah, that's I, I'm the... Um, I'm the outreach director. Uh, what that means is I create um, experiences for K through 12 or K through 14 participants to understand what data science is and the career pathways um, that that will lead to. So what does that really mean? I, I mean, that's actually something that I'm still learning what that means because data science is a relatively new field and it, and it it's an overlap of math and statistics, computer science, and some domain knowledge, which means like biology, so bioinformatics or music and music analytics. Um, so it's it's pretty cool, um, but uh, trying to find a creative way to engage in the space so that kids are playing with it and as a byproduct end up learning something, That's uh, that's been the challenge that I've been uh, working on. But I do have something to share in that. But Well, I imagine that you have a, a lot to share and you have an amazing journey. But what I would like to do is to take you back to a quote that I found that of yours on, on the great Internet that said that you wanted to be Angelina Jolie and hackers. <laughs> did I really say that? You actually did. You are quoted as saying, I wanted to be Angelina Jolie and hackers. And I thought that was such an amazing thing because I do remember that movie. And I thought it was um, sort of captured some of the essence of your creative journey. Would love to hear more about, um, you know, that I'm like a little bit embarrassed. I thought you were going to do the, I want to be the Martha Stewart of electronic crafts because I think well, that's what that, I wanted to do. <laughs> well, that too. Uh, but you know, that's funny. That is that is one of the motivators. I remember watching that movie as a kid and thinking she was so cool, um, the character. And I just, I just thought, you know, I, I think for me, the idea of learning a kind of 
hardcore objective skill set in like, for example, engineering and being able to control things uh, and uh, and build something out of my imagination uh, is empowering. And um, and to see her character, she was just so not the stereotype of what you would expect to see in a computer scientist. Um, you know, I, of course, in her case, she's a hacker, but still she's manipulating uh, code to be able to do things. And um, that's 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 cool. I thought. I thought it was cool. I'm embarrassed. I, I, did, I did not expect that. No, please, please don't, please don't be embarrassed. I, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And, and Gabby, I know that we have been talking a lot about creative journeys when we talked to Jesse Nadora, for example, and when we talked about what the future of education looks like. Um, and and what are we trying to inspire, Gabby? What is your uh, perception about this? Well, you you said something that really resonated with me, Sarah, and that's that you saw a character that didn't represent something maybe that you had seen before, had been exposed to before. And and we run into that quite a bit with um, young people that perhaps if they could just see what they can be, would the trajectory change for them? So I'm really curious just to learn more about your journey. Um, It could not have just been Angelina Jolie. I'm assuming that prompted you to follow that path. So could you share a little bit more with us about what was it that prompted your own journey into this very creative um, developing field? I will share, uh, I will go back, I think, a little bit as a child. Um, I uh, was not, I, I, I mean, like I'm the, I, I want to say almost like a, I was the cliche bullied kid where no one really wanted to hang out with that person. And um and so I was always really fascinated by people's ability to uh, socialize and uh, and connect with each other. I, I, I just it wasn't something that I was able to do very well. Um, and uh, and I find that to be the more creative space, the more subjective space, the more art space. Um, and it's a kind of vulnerability that uh, terrifies me. And um, and so you know, I, I can't stay scared. Um, so, uh, to kind of ground myself, I started focusing more on the math and physics of things because it was an objective way to kind of measure whether or not I was, I don't know, uh, worthy, uh, just, uh, you know, I, I had to tie my self-worth to something. Uh, so where this is going is, uh, it's kind of a weird journey, I guess, but uh, because I feel like I had pretty low self-esteem, I worked on math and physics. And as I was building my confidence in that, and and I have to also note that I wasn't necessarily good at it. It was just something that was a reflection of like, if I worked harder, I did better. Um, turns out if you do your homework, you do better. It who knew? Um and once I started building that confidence, then I started becoming more brave to try how do I apply what I'm learning in the arts. Um, and so it it's like it's like almost as if like I, I I started with trying to ground myself to allow my head to go into this la la land of uh you know like my imagination, which I think saved me in a lot of ways. 
but in order to play in that space um, and and uh, allow myself to share what I'm having in my imagination, I needed to build my confidence and I needed to build my self-esteem so that I felt like it was okay for me to share. I don't know if if that path is the same for everybody, uh, but for me, it, it definitely was more about my kind of um, like mental health and uh, how I felt about things than it was about uh, trying to pursue uh, a specific career or a specific pathway. I, so it's a bit I don't. I don't know if that's uh, if, how much sense that makes. <laughs> no, that makes. It makes perfect sense. sense to me. Perfect sense. Uh, I'm curious. Um, how are you channeling that to be present in your current role when you are working with young people? Um, so I try to. I definitely think it's helped. Um, you know, I definitely believe because I've witnessed it in my own self that if I feel comfortable in a space, I'm more likely to participate. If I feel confident in a space, I'm more likely to share with you an answer. I might be wrong, but um, at least I feel like if I was wrong, I'm not going to get like some more like pushback or scary, um, you know, uh, uh, interactions or whatever you want to call it. So um, for me, my number one starting point is making sure that the environment in which I'm teaching in is comfortable for everybody that's participating. And, um, and I find that using art allows me to buffer that a bit better because uh, art allows the individual to decide what what it means to them and it allows them agency over the uh, of, of creating whatever it is we're learning. So for example, with engineering, granted, it's a very objective and uh, traditional kind of like, you know, this is what you do. This is how you build. These are the things you need to learn in order to uh, make this thing. But uh, when I couple it with art and make it more playful, um, it, it lessens the, um, the scariness of it. The, the intimidation factor kind of goes away. Um, and, uh, I have found that by doing that, um, you know, again, I, I'm going from like a, an emotional kind of um, perspective of how I build these experiences. I need you to feel like you're okay. I need you to feel like there is no wrong answer. I need you to feel like you're going to throw out the weirdest, oddest idea and we're all going to just say, cool, let's see how we can make that happen. Um, instead of making people feel like, you know, they share an idea and I'm like, why would you think that? That doesn't make any sense. You know, like th that doesn't feel good. I, I don't, I don't like that. And I also try to make sure that every individual is feeling that way, um, which is nearly impossible, but I can't stop because I think I personally am also that individual that was like, you know, um, you can't save everybody or you can't help everybody. So, you know, who cares if, you know, she's not learning or he's not learning. Um, but I can't do that. Uh, so I, um, am a little obsessive about making sure that people are okay. Um, it, to the point where at one point, uh, in this, in this one environment that I was working in, um, I got negative feedback from an individual kid and, uh, and I like started obsessing, like, you know, what did I do? What could I have done better? Like, how could I have made sure that kid felt good? 
Um, and they really didn't like me, something I did that made them feel uncomfortable. So I tried to figure it out, you know, like, could I, maybe I was a little hard on him. Like, man, it, I don't even know which kid it was. Just it was a, it was an anonymous feedback. And so because I had taken it so hard, my coworkers decided I wasn't allowed to see feedback anymore, uh, which I was not actually happy about. Um, because I, 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 uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm, I get that I might not ever win in this endeavor, um, of trying to make sure every kid is okay, but I'm still going to try like, I, I, you know, and I'm okay with trying. It's, it's fine. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd love, I, I want to hear a lot more about your journey because I know your journey led you to UC San Diego and I know it led you to, to Qualcomm. But what I wanted to ask, which maybe builds on one of the points uh, that Gabby suggested, is this idea of identity. And we talk about cultivating a science identity early on or a, what they call a STEAM identity, which I think, you know, uh, maybe not the best way to describe it. But when I was... Uh, doing research on you, Sarah, you've been described as a variety of different things as an engineer, an educator, a, a maker, a fashion designer. I'm wondering, how would you describe yourself? Um, all of the above. Uh, I, I think identity is an is a very fascinating topic. Uh, I think I'm still trying to figure out my identity. I think it's ever changing, and I think that's okay. Um, uh, but to your point, uh, and, and this is where I get a little bit like, you know, pursue your passion is a hard thing to say, because, uh, what if you have a whole bunch of passions or what if you don't know what your real passion is? Um, and for me in high school, I really, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, you know, how did I go into electrical engineering? I just, it was by accident. I, you know, uh, I actually didn't want to be an engineer, um, I had the very narrow vision of what that meant. I thought that it meant I was going to sit in a cubicle and build, you know, very dry products, um, things that just weren't engaging to me. Um, but again, you know, uh, I, I went to community college, I took math and physics, um, and I ended up, ac I, I, I chose engineering at the end because one, it was faster to transfer to UCSD as an engineer uh, than it was the other major. Mm -hmm. And two, because I had several passions like traveling, um, art, uh, photography, um, I liked, I, I do like physics. I love learning how things work. Um, uh, I didn't know how to choose a path. So my, the way I chose something was, uh, financial reasons. Um, you can get an engineering degree in uh with just you can have a a bachelor of science in engineering and not have to go further you could but you don't have to um and get a decent job and that job would fund the rest of my passions so i actually chose engineering cuz i thought it was the path of least resistance in terms of um being able to financially create a stable uh foundation for myself um to give me options of what I wanted to do if I changed my mind later um, versus art. You know, my, I could have chosen to go down the art path, but you know, one that's, I, I think artists are extremely brave and amazing um, because you have to put yourself out there and it's subjective. Um, and it, and to me going down the art path and getting an art degree would be so much more difficult 
Um, so I didn't, I, I chose the easier path for me. Um, and, uh, and, and I chose it because of the money. Um, and, uh, I didn't expect to fall in love with it. I didn't expect to think, oh my gosh, it was like this aha moment in engineering school of like, wait a second, I don't have to build those, what I think are boring. I can build whatever I want. And wait a second, I can, I can mix this with art. I can have, I can use engineering as a medium to create art things. Wait a second here. I just, I just thought, I just thought everybody else needs to know about this. <laughs> like, if they just knew, just imagine like, I mean, I've, and it's actually, apparently there's evidence to suggest, to, 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 to support this claim that, um, that, uh, the engineering degree is, is the least regretted degree, uh, that people get. And it's not because people end up always becoming engineers. It's just such a solid foundation to do what other things that they want. Um, so, you know, that they open up a restaurant and have an engineering degree apparently makes it, I don't know. So I have to ask, Sarah, is, is it that you were exposed to all of these different, um, possibilities through your own professors or was it through internships you had? How, how was it that you came to, learn more about the field and understanding it from a creative perspective. How did that come to be? Like what the engineering field? Yes. Um, so, uh, it turned, my dad's an electrical engineer. Uh, and, uh, but the way he described it to me, I, I don't know if I can show you like an image, but I remember mm, I was yeah. thinking, uh, I was taking a calculus class or a trigonometry class and he got really excited because I was doing sines and cosines and he goes, this is what I do at work. He's like, you know, I don't know if you're going to be able to see this. Maybe. He's like, this is the earth and this is the satellite and this is the signal. And then he goes, sine X. This is like a very crude understanding of how GPS systems work. And I was just like, I'm not doing that. I don't know what that is. <laughs> that is not what I'm doing. Uh, but, you know, uh I, I just think there there are there are um, there's a range of ways to describe the same thing, and uh, it just so happened that the way that engineering was exposed to me earlier on was not exciting by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I still went through with it because I was being very pragmatic or practical about realistically i need to have a job realistically i need to work and how do i maximize the the money per hour in a way that i can actually do it um and so uh again it's not like it, i i don't like it when people say i'm a math person or i'm not a math person i'm i failed algebra in ninth grade um so by by that account you would say i'm not a math person but um but it was just the, it, it was just, it, it was actually just a correlation of like, if I worked harder, so like I said, I mean, it, it might, sounds cheesy, but if, if you do all your homework, like legitimately do all your homework, you get it. Um, and, and, and it would take me a long time. It's, so it wasn't like, oh, I did my homework in a couple hours. I mean, I'm, I'm saying like 10 hours a week on my homework of just math to get there. Uh, but it was such a, it was a path that, that, that was objective that uh, even though each person might have different lengths of how long it takes to get through that path, I'm definitely a slow learner. So it took me six years to get through college, uh, three years in community college and three years at UCSD. 
Um, but I got there. So how did I go down that path? It was, it wasn't inspired by some understanding of what it was. I totally went into it blind. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see things like Angelina Jolie and the hacker. So I had some sense of like the, like it could be cool. Uh, but I definitely never saw actual examples of that in real life. Um, so it was, you know, a little bit blind, a little bit, um, maybe a fantasy idea of what it could be like, um, which in a way I ended up making happen, you know, the, what my job is and what I do is a bit fantasy. Like it's, you know, I, I come up with weird ideas and, uh, and make them happen. Uh, like the robot dress, for example, which is a, you know, a, a mechanical tentacle, smart crinoline thing that moves the skirt around and hugs people like that's just weird but it's so cool like it it is it is absolutely amazing and and i will tell you Sauda, that i am a, a a fellow traveler in the algebra failure category i failed it in ninth grade subsequently in 10th grade and 11th grade and my question to you because now i cannot even get near an equation, I still don't understand trains traveling at different rates. I didn't grow up in a place where there are trains, so there's it really didn't make any sense to me in the abstract. And I, I know you talk about the value of putting in the effort and, and putting in the work. Um, for those kids who may experience that sort of thing, um, how what is your advice in, in cultivating a sense of resilience, not to give up, to, to follow a passion, um, even though you're not may not be uh, successful at it the first time? Um, I think if I think if I could do it over again, I would have asked for help sooner. Um and that's hard because uh, you might ask for help and the person you ask help from might not be helpful, even though their intentions might be good and they want to help, they still might not be helpful. Um, and so you have to almost like shop around for the person that actually will motivate you to do it. Um, if, if you need, if, if, if that's, that's one aspect, some people are self-motivated. That's great. I definitely found that once I started opening up myself to getting help, I did better. Um, so that's going to get a tutor um, or, uh, you know, asking more questions. And that's so hard. I mean, that's one of those easier said than done things. I mean, I see adults, you know, even teachers who will say like me, ask questions, but when it's their turn to ask questions, they don't ask questions either. Um, so it's, it's like, how do I convince somebody to be like, I know it's not going to feel good. You're going to put yourself out there and your peers might actually make fun of you, even though it's not okay for them to. But if you do it, if you can kind of block out that negative feedback and just focus on like, I need to get this done. Uh, you know, asking for help is probably the best bet. So your counselors or your teachers, um, and again, finding the one that's right for you, because each individual really does have a unique experience that helps them understand how the world works. Um, And so while one individual uh, might be giving you advice that did work for them, because they don't know your situation, it might not really apply to you. Um, And that's hard, right? Because they're going to be convinced, hey, if you 
if you do it this way, it's going to work. And it's just not, uh, so the, the, the intent might be good, uh, but how it lands with you, it, it, you know, you as an individual has to decide and that's hard and you're going to make mistakes, uh, of does this actually work for me? And, um, and then how do you, and, and, and then try it and see if it does. Right. And then again, that's why I liked math so much. That's why, you know, coding, for example, is so cool because there isn't, there is a right answer. So you, you'll know, did I do it right? Yeah. Because you'll have the right answer. There's, it's an objective thing. Um, and, uh, you know, coding is the same way, you know, I can't build a robot and bat my eyes and say, you know, can you work? I can't charm a robot to work. You know, I have to actually have the logic. I have to actually, it has to be 100% correct and compile and do it. Um, I can't get it 98% correct. So that, that is a high threshold, um, you know, high precision, um, activity, if you will. Uh, and you will be frustrated in trying to get something to work. But once it works, it is like this, it is one of the coolest feelings of like, man, I got it. Like, I, like no one, no one in the world, doesn't matter what you are, what you do, if you made a mistake, doesn't matter any of that. None of that matters because you got it right. And no one could take that away ever, ever. Like, it's just, it's just the sheer, very pure feedback that is absolutely worth it, even though, I mean, I don't know. I, I and, and, and Sarah, are those experiences, are those victories made sweeter because of stumbling along the way? At least for me, it is. I mean, I think, I definitely think that maybe if it was easier for me, uh, maybe I wouldn't appreciate it as much. Um mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I recently learned that, uh, you know, I've always been saying to kids, there's no correlation to how far you get and how fast you learn. But then there, I was shared a story recently about how true that is because, you know, every person's different. So um, it might, you know, when you're in a classroom and you see the person next to you get something quicker, it's not uncommon, I think, to feel like, oh, maybe that's not what I should be doing because I didn't get it as quickly as that person. Um, but that's not true. I, and in fact, uh, sometimes, and it's, none of these things that I'm saying is always true, right? These are generalizations. Um, but there are instances where when somebody doesn't get it right, they experience failure, right? And if that person experiences failure and then the next decision they make is to try again, that is a very valuable skill. That is what I think people are calling grit. And and because you know that um, trying again will eventually lead to success, that if you can get used to failing, getting back up, failing, getting back up, you I, I, for, it's my understanding that grit is actually the number one indicator of success. Um, because in the future, every individual, no matter how smart they are, will face something that they don't succeed in because we're all human. There's no perfect human. And um, the ones that get things easy and don't experience failure tend to turn away from things that they think they can't do and don't push themselves because they never had to in a way uh, versus the person who had to experience failure and persevere Um they don't necessarily, them failing doesn't give them the messaging they can't do it. 
Them failing means, oh, what do I need to do differently to try this again? What do I need to do differently to try this again? What do I need to do differently to try this again? Okay, I need to work harder. I need to, for me, I needed to study more. Um, you know, uh, I definitely am guilty of being a little, uh, a lot of a procrastinator. And there was always a consequence to that. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a really good, uh, you know, especially with math that I think is such a seemingly you're either one or you're not in terms of doing it. Uh, I, I just wish I could share how untrue it's like exercising. Everybody can exercise. Uh, some people like exercising, right? And so those people that like exercise are going to do it. So it's easier for them, but I hate exercising. I think exercise is so boring, man. I just, Oh God. And I work out like, um, I work out now and I hate it. I'll be honest, but, and I love being done with it, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's possible, right? I'm not, I'm never going to be like a triathlete or, you know, a sports person. Uh, but I can work out and, and, and get my body to, you know, to be more functional. And, uh, and likewise with math, you know, you might not be, uh, you know, uh, Actually, you could if you wanted to. I mean, I, I could be an athlete if I wanted to, I guess. I would just have to really work hard at it. Um, uh, but uh, math is the same way. There's a threshold in which, you know, uh, we can all pass. And uh, and while maybe it seems like math is not uh, directly used in a lot of cases, so sometimes people might think, like, why would I use this? I wish people could almost look at math as um, cognitively exercising your uh, prefrontal cortex. Like I wish people realize that it's actually more about logic and um, uh, uh, problem solving and, and, and critical thinking. Um, And these are just, this is just an avenue in which to do that. I think there are other avenues to maybe do that too, but math is seemingly the most straightforward. Maybe it's not too late for me. And it's interesting that you you think of math um, in terms of the prefrontal cortex. I always think of it in terms of the limbic system because I know the joy that can be had just by solving uh, something uh, in in the long run. And I know these are messages that we really um, are incumbent upon us to communicate to kids early on, especially when um, plasticity is greatest at an early age where they start to develop good habits and cultivate uh, a love of learning. And Morgan, you know, if I could just chime in, it's, you know, we we focus a lot on the student and what the student can be doing, right? We want them to have a sense of agency and you gave some recommendations, Sara. Part of me also thinks it's important that we acknowledge that it's also the system that we set up for these students to be successful. So early on in the conversation, sorry, you've developed a foundation and a space that creates a sense of safety. That is a critical component in allowing kids to access their prefrontal lobe. They can't do that if they're in survival mode. So the fact that you've done that, whether you've had training as a counselor or, or not, you're, you're practicing some counseling techniques where they are embedded in, I have to create a sense of safety and comfort, and then the learning will be able to take place. And so that sometimes I think it's very simple to understand, but oftentimes overlooked because we're in a hurry to, I got to get through this lesson. I, I only have six weeks to teach this module. We're always in a rush 
And brain de- brain development doesn't work that way with young people, right? It's there's a lot happening, and I and I think you've hit on a couple of those points that I wanted to just really circle back with because that's critical for people that are teaching these young minds that yes, you want to teach them agency and role model the way you are of, okay, so I ran into a roadblock. I found a way around it or I got through it and it took me long hours, but I got through it, right? Because you're also role modeling for them what it is going to take. You do have to have that sense of grit. People won't do it for you. You have to get to that place where you can do things for yourself But if that's coupled with the system that is set up for them to thrive, imagine where our young students, especially our young students of color, our young female students would be, right? If they had all of what we could package what Sarah is talking about and it could be purchased at a counter somewhere. somewhere. And then I think I'm going to sprinkle what she is talking about. Um, you know, in in um, their veggies that they're getting every day. Plus, I'm going to add that the teachers all know to create the safe, wonderful, loving environment, and they're getting all of their needs met. Their brains are functioning on all cylinders, right? And unfortunately, we re- we encounter those roadblocks oftentimes with our young people because they're not they're they're dealing with a lot of trauma that's beyond their control that oftentimes creates the barrier. So I just want to acknowledge you for that because. You alluded to that earlier, but it's quite significant in, in my opinion, is that you, again, you create the space for that learning and that creativity to be able to really take place. If you don't have that, you're not going to get students taking a risk to ask a question because you haven't made it safe. So I just really want to point that out, that that's actually what you're doing, that I'm hoping some of our listeners also pick up on that. That's where we start. It's the relationship piece to allow that learning to begin to happen. We could all use a little bit of Sarah dust, I think. Yes. It's funny. I, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, you, I hate saying it, but like, I mean, I have, I have unfortunately experienced quite a bit of trauma and uh, it's, it's that trauma that has helped me get that insight. Right. And I've been in environments where um, if I'm I, like, if, if I was an, a, an, if I was somebody viewing me and didn't know who I was, and that was the only experience I had of me, I would think I am quiet and pretty dull. And, um, and uh, I would say I'm stupid, because I just, I just, uh, I'm, I'm not engaged, I'm terrified, I won't say anything. Um, and then I've been in environments where I feel totally comfortable, and I'm thriving, and I come up with actual good ideas. And, uh, and I actually solve a problem and I'm the one that, you know, students will come to, to get help from. And, and I've, and I've, I've witnessed this thing in myself where I'm like, wait a second here. In some, in some instances, I'm not, I'm a total idiot. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I, I, I really just don't, I, I don't even know how to speak, if you will. And then there's other environments where I'm like, wait a second, I'm, I'm totally on it. I, I get it. I get, I'm, 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 I'm on a flow. I, I, and I'm like, what's happening here? How is it that one class, I, I can't even speak, I'm terrified, I'm going to sweat and shake if you ask, if you call on me, and the other one, I'll like interrupt you because I'm so excited and into it. Um, and, and I just, and I, and I think I've just played with that in terms of like, I think it's this, I think it's this comfort thing, it, it, you know, and, and, and the thing about that is, it, you know, if an individual is able to participate and engage with you, um, 
we all win as a society, right? I know it's kind of like, it really is true though. Like you're going to have people that actually solve these other problems and creatively solve these problems because they feel safe to. And when problems get solved, those answers are things that we all get to share the reward in, right? So if somebody's going to solve like, you know, a more efficient energy system, um, you know, we're all going to benefit from that. You know, the world's going to benefit from that. Or they're going to be able to solve, a, 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 you know, create a new cancer treatment because they, they thought about the problem in a totally different perspective um, because we made them safe in feeling that they could actually tackle that problem. Who gets to win? You know, the people who have cancer, they get a new treatment. Like, it's not like, you know, it's this, you know, let's, it's not necessarily, even though it kind of also is, you know, let's just create a happy-go-lucky environment. It, it, it's something if you want to be like strategic and and think about the reward of this, it, there is economic, you know, upside of actually doing it this way um, other than just it feels good. Right. No, it's a message rooted in, in mathematics and economics and in science. And we know that if we could provide every young person with the same access and the same exposure to all the SARS around the world, we all win. And we can we can see what that looks like in developing countries where if we teach um, women and girls how to read and not deny them the access, how they can become entrepreneurs and it changes entire villages. So, you know, what you're saying is true. It's based on fact. And the reality is we're looking at ways to spark that conversation with folks to say, so what can I do differently today in, in my sphere of influence to impact um, this collective um, connection that we have? Because we're all connected. Right. What happens in one community is going to impact another. It's all it's a domino. There's we're that's what makes us unique as human beings is that we are all interconnected that way. And so I I appreciate the fact that you are a shining light and a force for so many young people, because oftentimes I think we take it for granted thinking, oh, that was when I was growing up. We didn't have these role models. No, they actually still don't. And people might say, oh, well, now it's different. Well, it's changing. And it's because of people like you that are changing these systems and allowing people to work with young people. And I think understand them in a different way so that they realize they, they're they curious and want to learn. But again, are we creating the opportunity to foster that 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 sense of, of curiosity with them? So I, I appreciate what you are doing and that you bring that sense of self and authenticity to your work because it's all connected our journeys that's why we land where we land and it's not until we reflect we realize hmm i was destined to to create that cool robotic um dress yeah. and, and maybe that started when i failed algebra right and nobody right. would have connected those dots so you're definitely a force to be reckoned with i appreciate what you do for young people and may you never lose that motivation. And, and you might say it's obsessive. I'm going to say it's motivation <laughs> that you want for making that difference because it's survival um, really. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, what's interesting. Um, I have to, you know, just to emphasize, I had a, I had a concussion about three years ago and um, it was a pretty bad concussion. I was out of work and uh, I had to go to brain therapy and and in brain therapy, I learned um, that it turns out our brains use energy for physical, cognitive, and emotional, and it has a reserve. A healthy brain has a reserve. So when you use any of those three, problem solving for cognitive, physical, walking around, uh, or emotional, uh, the reserves picks it back up. 
But when you're concussed, apparently it the the reserves are not there anymore. So when you use any of the three, so physical, cognitive, or uh, emotional, the other two pick it back up. So what that translates to in a concussed brain, which is why you might wake up feeling, oh, I'm not concussed, I'm totally fine, and you'll tank before you know it, is um, is the the reason why that's so that was such an interesting experience was because um, a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this too. If you're emotionally having, like you're stressed out, there's a lot of this kind of feeling of like, I should will myself out of this feeling, or I should, um, I should be stronger and just get, get, get through it, you know, like ignore the emotions, control it, ignore it and just push it out and whatever. Um, but it turns out, uh, it's just the hardest one to actually manage because it's not a tangible or visual, um, understanding of how well we're doing emotionally. Um, but when I was concussed, I could, I could physically feel it. And so, um, so for example, you know, when you exercise too hard, you get nauseous. I was able to problem solve, like I was doing a problem. I I shouldn't have probably done it, but I was, I was problem solving and I pushed myself to the point where I got nauseous. Um, and then the consequence of being tired manifested in very specific kind of emotional behaviors. So this kind of thing of like sleep on it, if you're angry, just in case you're not tired, there's so much truth in that. I know that might be silly for some people, but for me, it was like, oh, oh, because I was irritated a lot when I was concussed. And as I was getting healthier, I was less and less irritated. And so it was just this really fascinating, um, like, oh my gosh, moment of, uh, you know, traditionally, and it makes sense, and I could go on a whole rant of this too, we have worked as a society to learn how to physically exercise. So we, well, we, well, if we do it or not, we know that there is a way to exercise ourselves physically, um, eat healthier, things like that. Uh, and we've also, as a society, learned some uh, trainings to exercise our cognitive ability. So going to school, things like that. So understanding intellectually how to help ourselves. But our emotional abilities is the last frontier, if you will, to becoming a whole human. And um, and we're really just scratching the surface. And it's not these things that you can intuit, right? Like you don't wake up saying, I know how to do calculus or I know I should do calculus or I know I should do math problems, right? Um, it, I think there's a lot of pressure in thinking you should know how to manage your feelings. Um, and the reality is, is like, you no, know, actually you need to learn how to do this and we need to help you understand some tools so that you can help yourself manage your feelings and make sure that you're feeling okay and doing self-care and meditating. And this is all things I'm still learning right now, you know, um, and it's just one of those kind of eye openers, you know, again, this concussion only happened three years ago where I'm like, oh, this actually matters. So if I take care of myself emotionally, guess what? I'm also able to problem solve more efficiently and effectively. Um, I'm also able to be more creative. Um, I'm also able to help other people. I'm also able to contribute to my society in a more efficient, effective way. But it it has to do with that limbic system. It has to do with making sure you're not triggering your amygdala and disconnecting your prefrontal cortex. It has to do with all of that. But let's not shame each other for not knowing how to do that intuitively. Let's help each other figure that out. So I have a, a, a bell that I use when I get a grant and I have to ring it because you just, what you just shared is what we've been 
trying to, to, to push with our school sites, that it's the social, emotional learning and growth, but it doesn't live in isolation. It's not a program. It's not a class. The way you described it, I thought was beautiful because you, you, you were able to display how it is connected to the whole learner. And that's what we're really trying to get at. That's why I'm like, I have to ring the bell because that we'll get was, there. That was just, award-winning in my opinion. Yes, <laughs> so I, I, I agree. And it's really everything that we hear teachers talking about now, albeit a little bit late, this idea of attending to Maslow before Bloom, this idea of attending to, to uh, your, your social-emotional needs and really cognitive and socio-emotional health, uh, most importantly. Um, Saura, you know, at the University of California, our motto is Fiat Lux, which means let there be light. I'm sure as an alumna, you know that very well. Um, and I think what you've done in this session is, is truly, uh, illuminated, um, uh, you know, some pathways forward and, and things for us to think about. And I know that this may be a bit of a hackneyed and cliched question, but I've got to ask you when you look back, at, at that little girl who either wanted to be Martha Stewart or Angelina Jolie, when you look back at much younger Saura and, and given the um, insight that comes from hindsight, what would you tell her? I, w- I would tell her it's going to be okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I would probably, I mean, I, I don't know if that, if insight, I, I would say, go ask for help. Um, sooner. Uh, I think, I think, uh, I would have probably taken my mental health more seriously sooner. So I could, you know, have that foundation a little bit stronger. Um, but at the same time, you know, I say, it's hard to say, like, do things differently, because I'm also okay with the path that I ended up on. Um, maybe it's not the most efficient path. Uh, but it's also okay. Like, you know, it's the whole process. So I, I think it all just really comes down to like holding the person and saying they're going to be okay. Like, you know, there is help out there. There are people that actually care there and, and it doesn't feel like that. in a lot of times, um, and if you think that if you ask for help once and, and you didn't get it, that means it won't happen. That's the, that's the trick. It's not that you have to just keep asking. You have to keep finding the one that will help you, um, in the way that makes sense to you. Um, and you decide what makes sense to you and, and your voice, your, you know, every human is valuable. Every human has a purpose. Every human has a voice and every human, you know, it, it, it like can contribute, but the way the world is right now, it doesn't feel like everybody's allowed to contribute. And, um, unfortunately, uh, that's the unfortunate reality of the world, if that makes sense. But if you can realize that that doesn't actually take away from the value that you can add to the world, um, again, easier said than done, right? I mean, when you're in it, when you're in the moment of feeling bad and sad, it's hard to think. So how do you help somebody that's in, in that, I call it being in the well, uh, like, how do you help somebody who's in it? Like, they can't see anything. You have to almost go in there with them and and uh, and help them out and help them get out. But that's that's hard. It, it's it's really hard. And I think you know we could all use a bit of knowing that things are going to be okay. Um, 
Well, Sarah, I, I thank you for uh, spending time with us and, and for, for sharing uh, your creative spirit and, and just a, this wonderful time to be able to talk to you. And I guess Angelina Jolie and Hackers is not a fictional character anymore. And we're so grateful to you and hope that you will consider coming back for our creative uh, conversations. Gabby, any parting words? Just, um, I want to express my gratitude for you to, uh, for you coming on and being part of our journey for this creative conversation and being willing to take a risk with us. So I, I want to acknowledge that and just, um, I, 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 I'm a hugger and unfortunately Zoom does not allow for that, but I would reach over and hug you if you were okay with that, if we were in person. So thank you so much for, for being you. Yeah. Thank you for having me and letting me, uh, you know, speak and share my story. And uh, I definitely think we'll find ways to work together because I have more fun uh, ideas to share and I love to figure out how we can share them with uh, with kids. So thank you. Well, Zoom hugs and, and sour dust. Um, <laughs> so uh, for Creative Conversations, I'm Morgan Appel. And thank you very much for joining us. We hope to see you again soon.